In this morning's passage, Paul is sending personal greetings to people in the church at Rome. This is a section of scripture that most people would uh, skip over uh, and uh, not preach from. And perhaps you're even tempted to skip these verses when you're reading through the Bible. However, uh, this is uh, a very worthwhile portion of scripture. Uh, the Bible says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, true, there are some passages of scripture that are much more apparently relevant at first reading than others, but nonetheless, this is an important portion of God's word. Uh, how we greet and interact with one another is very important. Many individuals have been lamenting the fact that we have not been able to physically meet together during this time. We've missed that personal interaction. But I ask you, what will it look like when we gather together again? Not just in terms of uh, following CDC guidelines, but in terms of attitudes that we convey towards one another. How will we interact with each other? As Paul writes the letter to the Romans, he is unable to come to them. But he is looking forward to the time that he will be able to come to them and be refreshed in their presence. In the intervening period, in writing this letter, he conveys very important doctrinal truths and concludes with these uh, personal greetings to the worshiper at Rome. So what do we learn from the greetings that Paul found in the book of Romans? That's our theme this morning. What do we learn from the greetings that are found in the book of Romans? Well, first, what we uh, learn from Paul's greetings is that uh, specific individuals and groups are greeted within the church at Rome. Uh, they are found in Romans 3 through 15. Greetings were commonplace in Pauline epistles. Most of Paul's epistles, he sends greetings to people. However, the large number of persons to whom Paul sends greeting in this epistle certainly stands out. It's quite unusual. I would also say it's rather remarkable that Paul knows so many Christians in the church at Rome. Uh, seeing as how he never actually visited Rome. Now, some people on this list, Paul knows through other uh, interactions outside of the city of Rome through his various travels. But his knowledge of uh, others is uh, quite remarkable, for he does not know them through uh, other acquaintances or other ministries that he's been engaged in. Uh, that would have been quite challenging. Obviously, no cell phones, no text messaging, uh, not even landlines. There was no emails. And of course, Zooming was out of the question. But more than that, even the postal system as we know it did not exist. You just couldn't put a letter in a mailbox. All letters had to be hand-delivered. Uh, they had to be uh, sent through a messenger. So it was no small feat for the Apostle Paul to keep in touch with these believers at Rome. So that teaches us that it was very important to Paul that he maintained those relationships. So as we lament the fact that we have not been able to uh, see one another in this time of distancing, 
we ought to make effort uh, to continue to stay abreast, uh, continue to interact with one another. We can make phone calls. Uh, we can use social networking. And in particular, I'd point out two things that we have done and I would encourage you to avail yourself of. The first is the uh, prayer list that is being circulated on Wednesdays and Sundays. Uh, I would encourage you to send in prayer requests, praises that can be shared with others, and then utilize the prayer list to read and to pray for those that have submitted such requests. Also, we have an opportunity on Wednesday nights at 7.30 to engage in a prayer meeting through Zoom. And I invite you to participate in that. You'll be able to see people face to face, hear the prayer requests, pray for one another. It's a way to stay uh, in tune with other people's lives. It's important that we stay abreast. Next, we learn the appropriateness of expressing genuine appreciation for others. Paul expresses appreciation for the work of others. If you look at Romans 16, 6, greet Mary who had worked hard for you. Romans 16, 9, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ and my fellow Stachys. And Romans 16, 12, greet those workers in the Lord. Tryphena, Tryphosa, greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Since these names are quite foreign to us, one thing that would be easily overlooked or missed is the fact that a number of these individuals that are listed are women. In fact, there are eight women listed in these verses in all. They are Prisca, Mary, Junia, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis, Rufus's mother, and Julia. And again, a number of those women are cited for their work in the Lord. Verse 6, greet Mary who worked hard for you. Verse 12, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena, Tryphosa, greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. So as we think about these women that are cited for their hard work, we learn that women played a very important role in the early church. And of course, they play a very important role in our church as well. Of course, there are many women in the church that work hard, uh, and uh, we appreciate that labor. They serve in diverse capacities, giving a great amount of time, energy, and direction to a variety of ministries in the kingdom work. So once again, thank you, ladies, and thank you all uh, that are working so hard and diligently in the life of the church. Such work is notable. Next, Paul expresses appreciation for the sacrifice that individuals have made for the sake of Christ. Some put their lives on the line for serving Christ. If you look at verses 3 and 4, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life. So they put their lives on the line. Some experienced imprisonment for the cause of Christ. Verse 7. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners. So here were individuals that were incarcerated right alongside of the Apostle Paul for their commitment to the gospel and for the spreading of the good news of the Lord 
Jesus Christ. So we learn that we should not forget the sacrifices that people make in order to serve the Lord. Uh, some of those sacrifices are to the point of actually giving their very lives. The Fox's Book of Martyrs is still very stimulating reading, providing us with accounts of brave men and women who maintained a faithful witness and gave their lives for the faith. You'll read of men and women who went to the flames, uh, singing hymns and giving praise and honor and glory to God. Certainly that is very uplifting to us, very inspiring, very helpful. Paul points out these individuals who risked their lives for the gospel. <clears throat> but not only those that have made the sacrifices of their very lives or their freedom by uh, willingness to go to prison, but we should also be grateful for those who simply go the extra mile in their service. We should be mindful of those who serve at great personal cost of time and money and energy. They should be notable among us. And the point is, it is appropriate for time to time to single them out and to express our appreciation to them. Uh, we should not let it go unnoticed. Next, Paul expresses appreciation for the unique love that he has for many of his brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul greeted a number of people that he said that he loved. Romans 16, 5. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinitus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Impliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Verse 9, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Romans 16, 12, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa, greet the beloved Persis. So here are people that are singled out that Paul had a unique affection and appreciation for. So as we think about the application, here we find that we don't always have the exact same relationship to uh, all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And there is nothing wrong with that. Jesus himself had an inner circle of disciples. Peter, James, and John had a relationship to Jesus Christ that was unique from the other nine apostles. And of course, the apostles had a relationship to Christ that was far different than the multitudes uh, that uh, came to be disciples and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even among the three, Peter, James, and John, we find in the book of John that there is one that is particularly beloved, and that is the apostle John himself. So we're going to have varying degrees of interaction, varying degrees of appreciation for, various degrees of affection for one another. And those that are particularly dear to us. And for each one of us, that's going to be a different subset of people. Those people that are particularly dear to us, it's appropriate, uh, it's appropriate for us to communicate that to them. How much their friendship means. How much their prayer support is uh, appreciated. 
Uh, how much strength that we derive uh, from their presence. Uh, how we enjoy being around them. The point is to be uplifting, to be encouraging, to tell people that the Lord is using them, that they are being instruments of God's grace. All of this ultimately uh, is to re result in the honor and glory to God. We understand that. But sometimes we are afraid that people are going to be puffed up or proud if we point out to them the things for which uh, they are appreciated, the hard work that they do, uh, the effort that they put forth, the sacrifice that they make, and uh, the unique bond that exists between us. Uh, we need to communicate that to others. But we're going to switch now and look at a admonition that comes in Romans 16.6. What do we learn from Paul's exhortation that the Christians in Rome are to greet one another with a holy kiss? Notice Romans 16.16. 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss kiss. What are we to think about that verse? Well, first of all, we need to understand that greeting a person with a kiss was commonplace in the New Testament era. Even as today, there are many European countries that still, it's still customary to greet a person by kissing them on the cheek. So this is not an exhortation to start something new. This is not a new practice where uh, Paul is saying, I want you to start kissing each other when before you didn't. That's not what's happening here. So this verse may be shocking to us, but it shouldn't. For the emphasis of the phrase is to be on the word holy, not kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss rather than regarding the practice as being new. So this emphasis is on the word holy, and it's important that we put the emphasis in the right place. Maybe you heard that it's always important that we put the emphasis on the right syllable, or we end up with the emphasis on the, right, on the wrong syllable. Uh, we need to put the emphasis on the word holy. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The scriptures never simply admonish us to greet another with a kiss. It is uniformly always accompanied with the word holy. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Corinthians 16:20 states, all the brothers and uh, send uh, all the brothers send greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13:12 Greet one another with a holy kiss. First Thessalonians 5, 26. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Therefore, the real question is, what is a holy kiss? What makes a kiss holy? There are at least two elements that are associated with a holy kiss. First, a holy kiss is a sincere kiss. It is to be an expression of unfeigned 
or unfaked love. There is to be no pretense in our affection and commitment to one another. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, it reads, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. King James says, unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Not fake, not put on, not a show, but the real thing. So our greetings, our statements of concern for one another, what we say to one another ought to be genuine and not overstated. 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So when we greet one another with the question, how are you? We ought to wait long enough for them to give us an answer rather than to say, how are you, and just continue to walk on. There should be a sincerity to that question. There should be a, a real concern about how the individual is doing taking time to listen to a response. When we say to someone, I'll pray for you, we should actually pray for people and not forget that we have made that commitment. That it would not just be a kind of Christianese that comes out of our mouth that doesn't have any substance or reality to it. Uh, that's not holy speech. That's not appropriate demonstration of concern. And one of the ways that uh, you can guard yourself from uh, saying that you'll pray for others when, and then actually not pray is to pray for that person right then and there. When you say, I will pray for you, uh, take time, uh, stop, and offer a, a simple short prayer. Even when you're out in public, just stand there for a moment and pray. If you're with somebody on the telephone, take the moment. Say, let us pray, and uh, pray with that individual. It's to be sincere. For there are times when kisses can not only be insincere, but they can be downright sinister. Proverbs 27, 6 states, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So that when a friend wounds us, when a friend tells us the truth that is hard to take, that is still better than the enemy who flatters us, who gives insincere praise, who speaks of appreciation that isn't well-founded. That's not beneficial. In fact, that is harmful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. But there are some rather major examples in the scripture of enemies that have used kisses to do great harm. For example, uh, Jacob was deceitful in kissing Amasa and it resulted in his death. Amasa was nephew to King David, 
and one who was trying to overthrow David from the throne. Joab was the leader of David's army. And Joab killed Amasa under the guise of a kiss. Listen to the account in 2 Samuel chapter 20. When they were at the great stone that is in Gibeon, Amasa came to meet them. Now Joab was wearing a soldier's garment, and over it was a belt with a sword in the sheath fastened on his thigh. And as he went forward, it fell out. And Joab said to Amasa, Is it well with you, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa did not observe the sword that was in Joab's hand. So Joab struck him with it in the stomach and spilled his entails on the ground without striking a second blow, and he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bichri. Here is an example of under the guise of a kiss, under a feigned love and concern and well-being for Amasa, Joab actually uh, does the dirty deed of stabbing him and killing him, taking his life. When Jesus was betrayed by Judas, he was betrayed with a kiss. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 48, it reads, Now the betrayer had given them a sign. This is referring to uh, Judas. He is the betrayer. The them is the Roman cohort. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I love, the one I will kiss, is the man sees him. So as Judas is involved in betraying Jesus, he comes up with this ruse, this scheme. And that is, he's going to identify who Jesus is to these Roman soldiers who don't recognize Jesus by sight. And uh, as Jesus is with the disciples, they're not going to be sure which one to arrest. Well, Judas doesn't want it to be known publicly of his betrayal. So he says to the soldiers, the one that I kiss, that's Jesus. He is the one that you want to arrest. And in Luke chapter 22, 47 and 48, we have the encounter of Jesus with Judas. In Luke chapter 22, verse 47, it says, while he was still speaking, that's referring to Jesus, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Are you going to betray me and at the same time pretend that you love me? Are you going to turn me over to be crucified and yet want to appear as a faithful, devoted, committed, and loving disciple? Jesus was having no part of it. Jesus was not going to allow that sham to take place. So when the Bible says that we are to greet one another with a holy kiss, it's to be with true, unfeigned, uh, genuine concern, appreciation for 
one another. A sincere greeting of affection. What's being admonished is sincerity, genuineness. So when we come together, we don't need to be kissing each other. But as we gather together and as we express our greetings and we talk about how we missed one another, uh, how we uh, are so thankful that we can meet together again, etc., 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 what we need to guard against is being two-faced. To represent ourselves as caring for people in ways that we really do not. To be kind to people to their face, but then to stab them in the back is much akin to what Joab had done. You know, we may not stab them with a knife, but we may stab them with words. We may gossip about them. We might tell crude and rude stories about them. We might want to destroy other people's reputation, all at the same time as uh, presenting ourselves as committed to them, as friends to them, as fellow believers in Christ and enjoying our fellowship with them. So we're to greet our one another with a sincere greeting of appreciation. Secondly, a holy kiss is a pure kiss, a kiss that was free from any sexual innuendo. Uh, purity is a very important element of this thought of holiness. We are told in 1 Peter to love with a pure heart. 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for, sincere, for a sincere brotherly love, and then this, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We are admonished in 2 Timothy to flee youthful lusts with those that call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Timothy is admonished to stay sexually pure in his relationship with women. 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. As we think about this aspect of a holy kiss and we think about the kiss itself, there is a way that you kiss your mother, that you kiss your sister, that you greet your grandmother that is far different than the way that you kiss your wife or your girlfriend. In our relationships within the church, we must guard against inappropriate affections. We are to be careful that the love that we foster for one another is a pure love, not a sexual love and not a way of trying to instigate and create a relationship with others that is untoward. We live in a difficult age in which relationships are often misunderstood. 
Unfortunately, there are very, very few examples of good and healthy relationships in our culture. And as a result of all of the sexual harassment, all the sexual abuse, the hashtag movement, and all of the ways in which uh, people, especially women, have been taken advantage of and abused, there has become such an awareness of the misuse and abuse of relationships that now almost any kind of relationship is called into question to compliment a woman on the way that she is dressed in the workplace might constitute sexual harassment. Even to show the simple kindness of smiling at someone in today's culture might be viewed as flirting or as trying to start a relationship that would be inappropriate with another individual. It's hard in our culture to show warmth, comfort to another individual that oftentimes has a physical kind of relationship to it. For example, uh, someone who has just lost a loved one to come up and pat them on the hand today is inappropriate. It's unacceptable. So we are challenged to remain pure in our relationships with one another, to be holy and at the same time to allow ourselves to be vulnerable, to allow ourselves to express appreciation, delight in being together, uh, enjoying one another's company, all under the spirit of holiness. On the other hand, we can't be naive either. Too many Christian leaders have fallen because they have allowed themselves to be engaged in inappropriate relationships. In counseling, displays of sympathy and concern can often escalate too quickly into a relationship that becomes inappropriate. So we need to be careful as we are engaged with one another that our motives are pure that our desires are pure, that our actions are pure. Conclusion. Our greetings are to be different than the greetings of the world. They're not to be sinister. They're not to be self-serving. They're not to be accompanied with ulterior motives. And they're not to be sending sexual signals. But the emphasis on the passage is not the kiss. The emphasis is on the holiness. The emphasis is on the manner in which we interact with one another. The emphasis is not on the physicality. We don't have to be kissing one another in order to fulfill the admonition of this text. Most likely, when we come back together, there's going to be some measure of social distancing. We probably aren't even going to be shaking hands. 
with each other. But that doesn't mean that we can't fulfill the admonition that is given to us in this text. We can still be faithful to the admonition of greeting one another with a holy kiss. That is, we can demonstrate a genuine concern for each other's well-being. We can utilize the practices, the greetings of our culture and our society in a way that's in keeping with the truth and faithfulness of the word of God. We can greet one another kindly. We can express affection and appreciation for one another. We can refrain from backbiting and saying crude and rude and argumentative things about each other. We can demonstrate a true concern for the spiritual and physical well-being of others. This period of time in which we are living with this coronavirus, uh, with all of the uh, stay-at-home orders and with the social distancing, uh, many of these practices have become extremely divisive in people's minds. Uh, people are reacting in quite diverse ways, some appreciating uh, the practices, others totally against the practices. But what is happening more and more is that people are saying horrible things to one another based on the position that they are taking. Things that are hurtful, things that are destructive to relationships, things that promote disunity as opposed to unity. Here is a practical application of Romans chapter 14 that said, let him that is weak in the faith receive him, but not to doubtful disputations. In Romans 14, it was receiving individuals without argumentation, welcoming them into the presence of the fellowship of the church simply because they are a brother and sister in Christ and not fighting over these inconsequential things. I hope that when we get back together, and I trust it's going to be pretty soon, and we'll be saying more about that as plans are made, but as we look forward to coming together again, let us guard ourselves that when we come together, it's for good and not for harm. That we're promoting unity and not disunity. That we are genuinely concerned for the spiritual and physical well-being of one another. And so may our greetings be sweet and may they be sincere. May what we say in public be reflected in what we say in private. May we not disparage one another in our homes only to come together in church to speak in flattering and complimentary ways about one another. True Christian love, true Christian fellowship, true identity in the Lord 
is to express genuine, sincere, sexually pure appreciation for others in the body of Christ and what they are doing. May this typify our greetings of one another. Let's pray. Our Father, help us in this difficult time in which we are living. Help us to stay abreast with one another uh, in uh, all that's taking place in uh, our lives. May our concern be real and genuine. May it not be feigned or fake. May it be sincere and may it be pure. Help us when we come together again as the body of Christ. Coming together and uh, having to work through these issues of social distancing and mitigating, etc., of which there are so many different opinions and uh, people have uh, different thoughts about uh, what's appropriate and inappropriate. Lord, give us a spirit of unity that goes far beyond those issues but focuses upon the unity that we have in Jesus Christ as brothers and sisters. May we worship together and may it be sweet. May it be enjoyable. May it be helpful. May we generally be praying for one another. May we encourage one another in the faith. May we keep others from despondency by recognizing their commitment to Jesus Christ. May they hear from us, and not just the Lord, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Oh Lord, help us to be free in our compliments, in our expression of love and appreciation. And Lord, guard our hearts, guard our minds, that none of this would ever be uh, assimilated in an impure or sexual way. But may our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ be sweet. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.